Uh, if we've never met, my name's Greg and I'm part of the team. I sort of have two sort of main functions around Unihill Church in both campuses. We have one in Box Hill and, of course, this one here in Bandura. And that is uh, looking after some of the teaching stuff that we do in terms of biblical teaching. One of our main catch cries is training for life. So, of course, when we gather on a Sunday like we have this morning and, and for those of us joining us online as well, is we do it to worship God. It's like a collective time of coming together as believers to spend time in God's presence. But the other thing that we do is unpack God's word, but not just to know information, but to apply it to our lives. Because really without application or, or working out how do we take an ancient text that was written to a different audience in a different culture, but actually take the truth that they took and make it part of our lives because we're God's people just like they were. That's the main thing that we do when we come around the Word of God. So whether you do it in a devotional time privately or whether you do it in a connect group, in a smaller setting, or even in, in a sense what we're doing right now. Um, the other thing that I look after is our cross-cultural mission stuff. I've been chatting to Vince in Italy and, and a few other things. So you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks as well. So today I'm going to talk to you about being weakened by bitterness. I don't think I've actually heard a sermon on bitterness for a long, long, long time, or even, you know, are there any books on it? I know there's books on anger and all that sort of stuff, but I've been reading through Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles there, um, on Ephesians chapter 4 we're going to look at, and we'll look at verse 31 and 32. And I want to talk or sort of motivate you around, well, what do you do when someone hurts you personally? There wouldn't be a person that's listening either online or if you're in person in the room with me right now that hasn't been hurt by somebody else. Sometimes people get hurt intentionally because someone's actually out to upset you or to cause you pain. Sometimes it's unintentional. So the, the person who says or does something to you doesn't really mean it in the way that you hear or receive it. And there's different, there's different sort of layers. But one of the main things that I think we don't talk about often enough is the connection between our emotional health, how strong are we emotionally, and our spiritual health. And when I read, you know, not just the book of Ephesians but most of the New Testament, there's a clear link there because uh, particularly in, in the letters or the epistles as they're technically called, Paul, Peter, John, they all write around a whole lot of emotional stuff as if it's spiritual. There's actually not a disconnect for them. So, you know, some of you may have heard me say in the past, you can't really be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. It's, it's incongruent with God because God's not just trying to save us from the penalty of our sin. He's also trying to save us from our own stupidity, right, our own weaknesses, and our theme for this year, strong or stronger, well, God wants you to be stronger. He wants you to be mature and much more emotionally stable. And yet we all know the struggle, myself included, I'm as human as anybody else hearing this message this morning. I'm not sort of somehow ahead of the game than you are. We all know what it's like to suffer when someone hurts us. And we, we almost like can't let it go. It sort of sits there and simmers and almost takes root. And so there's this one little verse in Ephesians 4 where Paul says you have to get rid of all bitterness. And he mentions a couple of other things. We're gonna, we'll look at it in detail in just a few minutes' time. 
But what I want to sort of start with is why should we get rid of it? If we're upset, hurt, angry, and something inside of us is festering, why should we get rid of that bitterness? That's what I really want to start with. I want to sort of, I'm going to start a little bit backwards to what I normally do and get you thinking about some of the reasons, some of the benefits. If you really want to be stronger this year in God, then you have to learn to what, what do I do with my anger, my frustration, or if it festers into a bitterness, what do I do with that? Why should I actually do something with it? Why can't I just leave it in my life or in my heart or in my thoughts? So a couple of things are going to come up on the screen. I'm going to give you a couple of sort of practical reasons. One of them is anytime I hold on to bitterness, I'm ignoring God's will. Now, I'm speaking obviously to people who are following Jesus, but it's, not, it's never God's will for you to hang on to bitterness. In fact, in Ephesians 4, which we'll read in a moment, the sort of prelude to where we're, where we're landing in verse 31 and 32 is Paul talks about what to do when you're angry. Don't let the day finish while you're still angry. You have to get rid of it before the sun sets is the, is the phrase that he uses. There's this reason about it can never be God's will for you to continue to be angry because someone has hurt you, intentionally or unintentionally. It's not consistent with you being a disciple of Jesus and hanging on to that bitterness or that hurt. So, I mean, you know, to use some words that we don't often use these days, that bitterness is a sin. We're missing the mark. We're not being strong. In fact, I would say it's weakening us. And again, if we want to be stronger in God, we have to deal with some of these things when they seep in or sneak into our heart. Sometimes we don't really realise how upset we are or how angry or how bitter we've become about someone or some event or something that was said to us. But it's never God's will to actually sit or camp there or to tolerate it, to think that you can still manage your bitterness and yet still follow Jesus at the same time or worship God. It's, those, those two things can't go together. That doesn't mean we, we, we can't come to church if we're upset. I don't want to, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you can't not deal with it, right? Because we, we're all the same. We're all as human as one another and it's never God's will. The second thing, anytime I hold on to bitterness, I'm rejecting God's blessing. I mean, if, it's all right for us to talk about we're, we're saved, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, where God protects us, God provides for us, God hears my prayers, you know, God directs me, God guides me, God rebukes me, God encourages me, God is training me for life. It's all right for us to enjoy the blessings of God. But, of course, if you take on something that God never wanted us to carry and allow it to sit in your heart, then you can't be enjoying all of God's blessings. It's just not possible. Because one of the blessings is God, for instance, is for you to be filled with peace. Well, you can't be filled with peace when you're bitter. Another blessing is to be filled with joy. Well, again, you can't be joyful or feel happy when you have anger or, or resentment or bitterness in your heart. And so we're ignoring God's will. It's never God's plan for us to maintain a level of bitterness. And we actually lose the, ble the full blessings of the salvation that we've just been singing about and it will come around the Lord's table in a few minutes that will celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That all the blessings that gives us, part of it's robbed. We become weaker, not stronger, when we allow bitterness to fester and we don't actually pull it out of our heart. Here's the third thing. I'm trying to be as practical as I can this morning. You just can't live the right way as a disciple of Jesus. 
you know, you just, you can't profess one thing. So, for example, can't celebrate the forgiveness that God's given you and then harbour a grudge against somebody else. You can't live right. And again, it's not about, we're not earning merit as Christians. We understand we are saved fully by grace and the mercy of God. Right? We're not, it's not as if God likes us more if we forgive those who hurt us compared to those who are struggling or are not forgiving those who have hurt them. This is not a competition of who's a better Christian. That's not biblical Christianity in any way, sense or form. What this is, is that God wants you to live the way he designed life to be. And so if you're harbouring any sort of hurt or pain, then you can't live the right way. It's just, again, the two things just don't go together. In fact, James actually says, if you're taking notes, so it's not going to come on the screen, but I noticed James when he talks about anger, human anger, one translation puts it, James 1 verse 20. He says, human anger produces unrighteousness. We just can't be right before God. We can't live the right way if we hang on to our bitterness. Here's the fourth reason. Anytime I hold on to bitterness... I hurt other people in my life. Now, I've been guilty of this. And as I was reflecting on this this point, when I was thinking about when I've been really upset and it's been very difficult for me to let go and forgive somebody and I've become a little bit bitter, you know the people I hurt the most is actually the people I love. The person I'm upset with has no idea. They're not impacted by my bitterness. But in actual fact, you know, I become more grumpy. You know, I kick the dog. I you know, I want to strangle the cat, you know, I'm not happy at work, you know, like I'm, I'm always agitated, right? You know, when you're upset, well, maybe it doesn't happen to you, maybe it just happens to me, but when you're upset, you're a little bit agitated. And in fact, the people that you love the most wear it more than anybody else. The person that's upset you in the first place, they're long gone. Probably have no idea at how upset or how hurt you are. And yet the people that you want to protect and nurture and develop and encourage and strengthen yourself, they're being wounded by your wound. And it's one of the most sort of, it's a contradiction, isn't it, right? The other thing I've noticed is how easy it is to gather with people who are wounded as well. This is another thing we do under this point, unintentionally, but, you know, when you're carrying a wound and you're a bit bitter or upset with somebody, you start talking to other people about it, and they agree with you, their wound comes to the surface and they start talking about their issue and then soon, not long in the future, you might have three or four people and in the end you can gather together really easy and the only thing that really pulls you together is your bitterness and it becomes part of your identity. And Again, I've been guilty of this. I remember I was in a prayer group many, many years ago that we sort of gathered once a week for 10 years straight. And we all got wounded by this one event. And in the end, that's all we talked about. We stopped praying, right? All we did was talk about how upset, how unfair, how unjust, how wrong, why didn't God stop it? And it dawned on me one day the shift in our little triad of the three of us guys getting together so regularly. And we had, we, I had to sort of say, listen, boys, we've got to stop this. We, we've actually got to deal with this because it's changed the whole dynamic of our relationship. And... It's changing me. And so, you know, we wound other people unintentionally, but you don't wound the person that you're trying to get back at or you think should suffer because of what they've done to you. It's the other people around you. Here's the last one. Anytime I hold on to bitterness, 
I act like I'm actually totally, I've never met God, don't know anything about Jesus or salvation or grace or mercy. I'm acting like a fully unredeemed, unsaved person. When you think about it, right, that's how strong your negative emotions can be. Like when you're really hurt, then you act in a way as if you've never experienced the free gift of salvation and forgiveness and grace yourself. And that's the contradiction in human behaviour, that it weakens us. See, bitterness actually weakens us. It detracts, it steals away the strength that God's actually given you through him forgiving you in the first place. And so when you think about just some of those five, there's probably more, but the ones I could sort of think of, those five practical things, then they're the motivation to actually get rid of it and to deal with it. Sometimes it's difficult. I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying it's easy always to deal with your bitterness. But you can't, as a, as a person who's passionate about the salvation that God has given you, you can't let it fester in your life or else it'll take control and it weakens you. You become a weaker, more immature Christian by holding on to it. Now, I'm still saying it's not always easy to let go, right? I'm not, I'm definitely, I'm not, you know, I hope my teaching is not superficial. Sometimes it's very hard. It's, it's this emotional sort of stirring that you don't want to let it go and that person should pay for what's happened. But what God is saying to us is, well, not just those five reasons, but we need to let it go if we want to be stronger. There's actually strength that comes through us forgiving those who don't deserve it. The strength comes to you, not to them. But we're weaker if we don't follow that advice. We're a weaker Christian. We're a much more immature or childish Christian. It's got nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian or your physical age, right? We've all met people who carry bitterness. In my family, there was one particular family member who carried bitterness like it was a medal on, on their chest. And that's all they talked about is how, you know, this person did this and this other person said that and how unjust. And every time we'd see them, that's all, that was really their identity. And it's so hard sometimes because those emotions are so strong. But if we don't think through what it's doing to us and why does God want us to let it go and then work through it step by step, then it will fester. Certainly that's my experience. Let me explain to you the word bitter in the biblical languages. So, of course, the Bible wasn't written in English. Um, this verse that we'll look at in a moment, Ephesians 4, 31, 32, is written in an old language, an old form of Greek. And, of course, they steal a couple of Old Testament passages, I'll show you in a minute, um, that are written in Hebrew. So another slide's going to come up on the screen that unpacks the word. So the word actually means... Well, I, I'll try and pronounce it for you, but pikra is really the pronunciation of it. Um, lucky I've got some software I can do how to pronounce this, you know, Greek or Hebrew word. Um, I have trouble pronouncing English words as it is. Um, I can't read or write properly and can't spell. So, you know, it's one of those oddities in terms of me trying to pronounce a language I can't even speak. But pikra, and it literally meant to cut yourself or to prick yourself with something. That was the original sort of root meaning, how the word developed. Because, you know, words are fluid. They sort of grow in, in meaning and shift over time and, and new layers of meaning are added to it. But initially it just meant to cut or to prick, like physically. But then it became a metaphorical terminology for when someone would upset you 
right? So it actually became a metaphor to actually be bitter. So you know, you know that physical response when you cut yourself with a knife or when you're cooking or you prick yourself, you know, grabbing a roast stem or something like that? That physical reaction is it's this sense of bitterness. And then, of course, this metaphorical use of the word is like when Paul says, get rid of all bitterness in Ephesians 4.31. He's meaning it in a way with this visual picture comes into their heads who knew this language that it felt like you were being cut or pricked. And so in the end, the way they would use the language in the ancient world, it had sort of had three layers of meaning. You could talk about something that tasted bitter. So, you know, like some bitter herbs or does anyone drink tonic, Indian tonic water, right? Yeah, I like, I like it as well. Um, or Chino- anyone like Chinoto? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly. Yeah, John. John loves Chinoto. It's the best drink with a pizza. Uh, but it has a bitter. I, I know us Westerners love sugar and the sweet taste, but I don't mind the bitter drinks. But it literally meant to taste something that was bitter. But it could also talk about your temper, right? So when you get angry and it grows, or you, you can't get over it or resolve it, then that same idea, that same effect of cutting or pricking yourself, but now it's internal, right? It's an emotional response. And also circumstances. They would often use it in other ancient documents that the circumstances were bitter. So, you know, when things weren't going well, harvest wasn't going good, all that, you know, suffering. And again, we can all relate to that, right? So they'd use it in those three ways. Your food could be bitter. Um, Your temper gets bitter. So that's the word bitterness as we understand it but also your circumstances can be bitter, unpleasant. It's only actually used four times in the New Testament, which is not very often, by the way. That's extremely rare. So that caught my attention. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 23, there's this crazy story of a sorcerer. That So in, in the ancient world, a sorcerer would go around making money by performing supernatural magic. And so this sorcerer is named Simon. He spots the apostles particularly um, Peter and John, doing miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he goes up to them and says, can you give me that gift? I'll pay for it. And Peter's response to him, he says a couple of things, but one of the things that caught my eye, he says to Simon, you're bitter and sin has got you. It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder what human, what happened to Simon to become so bitter that he think he could use God to make money. But that's one of the ways that the New Testament writers, in this case Luke, uses that term. Then in Romans, which of course is Paul, the Apostle Paul, but this is a quote from Psalm chapter 10. The Psalm, Paul's actually quoting, an old, it's actually in a string of quotes from the Old Testament in Romans here. And Paul's writing to sort of prove to the Romans that he's writing to, so Gentiles, non, non-Jewish people, he's writing to them to explain the gospel. And these non-Jews, what he's emphasising at this point in his writing to them about Jesus is that whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, so Gentile Roman, we're all sinners. So even though the Jews had the old covenant, they still need Jesus Christ because they're still sinners. And just like the Romans or the Jews or the, uh, sorry, the Gentiles, so just like us, we need Jesus because we're still sinners. Right? So just because they had the old covenant, doesn't exempt them from needing Jesus. That's really what he's explaining to them. And, of course, he says, he quotes this Old Testament psalm saying their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And, of course, that's something that we've all seen. When someone's mad or really bitter or really hurt, 
what comes out of their mouth. They can curse. And then in the third one, Hebrews chapter 12, 15, this is a reference to someone, this is really interesting, who rejects Jesus but tries to stay in the church family and the trouble they cause. And they may not reject Jesus in, in, a, in a sense that I don't believe anymore, but it's also that their behaviour doesn't match what a disciple looks like. Right? So in some ways it doesn't matter what just you profess or what you say in front of other people, it's how you live that really counts. That's what God is also looking for, right? Because you can say one thing to a group of people. I mean, even today, you could leave this service and then you could participate in something that's totally ungodly or unchristian this afternoon. None of us would ever know, but God knows. And so Paul's, you know, in, in this scripture in Hebrews, they're dealing with this issue of people that stay within churches that actually are not really following Jesus and the problems they cause. And he uses this phrase that theologians have debated for centuries. He says, don't let that bitter root grow up. In other words, don't let that person take root and affect everybody else in the church family. And again, we've all seen that, right? Probably seen it in your extended families, in church life, in small groups, where someone who's really upset, not really following Jesus, and the the drama that they cause in other people's lives who are trying to follow Jesus. And then there's our verse for today. So we are going to get there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. And, you know, in a reference, Paul's talking about how we, we don't live like we used to once we come to know Jesus. If you read the start of chapter 4, it says we don't live like our, in the futility of the thinking that we used to have, that the world has. We don't live like that anymore. Right? We have to, in other words, we have to change our thinking. So we know the verse in Romans, the renewing of your mind matters. You can't keep thinking the same way and follow Jesus at the same time. And so in this sort of, there's a list of things that he mentions that you used to do this, now you do that. And this, is, this little phrase that we're reading today is what he says. So this, the verse is going to come up on the screen. So Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Jesus God forgave you. Now, I want you to notice this, this sort of, it's, it's a, it's, in one way it looks like a loose grouping. Just leave that verse up for me for a moment. Just that loose grouping of stuff, so like anger, malice, not that we don't really use that word. When's the last time you said malice in a normal sentence in a conversation with someone? But, but in fact, interesting, malice is like this summary word. Malice literally means that when you're really annoyed with someone, you want to get them back. That's literally what it means. So we may not use the word malice, but malice is like a summary word of everything else is just said. Anger, bitterness, resentment. And so, in other words, any form where you've been hurt and you allow that to cut you or to prick your heart and then you let that sore sit so it develops and begins to grow in you, well, he says you've got to get rid of that. We, don't, we used to do that before we knew Jesus, right? That's the rest of the world lives like that. And we certainly have seen that in the last three or four years and you would have your own stories, I'm sure, 
um, not just related to what's happened the last, you know, during the COVID season, but even way before that, or even in other circumstances in, say, in your life at work or at school or at university or in your family, where someone has allowed this bitterness to actually cause havoc with other people in your family or in your workplace or in your school or in your university. But what Paul is saying is we don't do that anymore. We, we may have used to have lived that way. That's how we thought. But we don't think that way anymore. So here's what I want you to notice and just leave that verse up. He actually gives us like an antidote. And you know, sometimes because we've read a verse so often, we can skip over it a little bit. But he, he actually says, be kind and compassionate. That's how you do it. And in fact, the last thing he says is probably really the punch. It's really the punch to take the wind out of our sails when we think, well, hang on a minute, he doesn't know what's happened to me. He has no idea I I have the right to be mad and that person should suffer because what he actually says, you've got to forgive and he's the clincher because God forgave you through Jesus. Just just think of some of the, the depth to that concept. God didn't have to forgive you or me. He wasn't obligated to. And again, we were you know, singing that song, Beautiful Exchange, as we were singing that this morning. I'm thinking, you know, what I was going to, about to talk about. But that's, that's the sort of loving, sacrificial God that we had. And that Jesus willingly took on the penalty of our sin that we could be forgiven by his Father. Undeserved, unmerited, and, and please hear this. Even if you've been a Christian 50, 40 years, your grace is still undeserved and unmerited. We can never earn it, right? We're not paying, it's not like paying off a house, right? We don't have a mortgage with God as if, well, if I keep doing the right thing, God, eventually, you know, I've earned the right for your forgiveness. It never works like that because, you know, once, once we sin, once we miss the mark, then there's no coming back from that. That's the point. But, but. Jesus came, and so Paul's reminding this house church in the city of Ephesus that this is one of the reasons you get rid of all that stuff. So the town, you know, in Ephesus, the town around them, the other people lived in anger and malice and resentment and getting people back and brawling and all those other things he mentions. But he says that's not how we do it in the kingdom of God because we've experienced our own forgiveness. So let me finish with this. Go to the last slide, thank you. I, I just think there's a principle here. And it, I, I, it's right through the Bible. I just I grabbed a few little verses here. But I think there's a life principle for all of us, and that is you can't expect to receive from God what you're not willing to give to someone else. I didn't know how else to express it. So again, I'm not saying we, we, it's not merit, we're not earning it. But because God has forgiven you, it's reciprocal. I think that's how God sees it. If he's given you his free gift of forgiveness, you better pass it along to those who don't deserve it because you didn't deserve it, I didn't deserve it. Right? So I think there's just a life principle here. Now, you can be a non-Christian and still benefit from this principle, by the way, but for us who have a relationship with God, we understand the depth of this truth that we have to pass it along to other people. We must do that. Is it hard sometimes? Absolutely. 
But it doesn't mean it can't be done. It doesn't mean you just start somewhere or it doesn't mean you don't talk to someone and get some help or it doesn't mean that you just sit there alone festering. But you have to be able to pass on the forgiveness that you've experienced. And I think sometimes as we get older as a Christian, we forget the first experience of God's forgiveness. It sort of slips from our memory at how dramatic and how how deep it felt when we knew inside by the power of the Holy Spirit that God had forgiven us for everything that we'd done wrong. And our penalties were gone. The slate was wiped clean. But then when someone hurts us, instead of remembering how it felt to be forgiven, we want to go after them, run them down. Right? Because this is the point here. Then forgiveness is reciprocal. If you've experienced it, God's expecting you to pass it on. It's got nothing to do with whether they deserve it. You don't even have to talk to them to forgive them. Right? This is this is something you do in your heart and in your head. Forgiveness literally means you let them off the legal charge that you have against them. It's not an emotional thing, but it feels so emotional for most of us most of the time, but it's actually a legal term to be. So if you have a legal charge against them, so like taking them to court, for example, but you let them off, you don't hold that charge against them anymore. That's what the word forgiveness truly means. So of course, listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 16. If you don't forgive others their sin, your father will not forgive your sin. You better write that one down. We don't, we, don't, we don't talk about that one too much, do we? Mark 11, similar. So the whole thing about bringing your gifts or your offering or your worship to God in the temple. He says, well, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And, of course, our verse today. So, you know, if you want to become stronger this year, this is one of the ways to do it. All you have to do is take the first step. So just close your eyes for me. Maybe God has just brought someone to your mind as, as you've heard me t- teaching and, and listening to this verse and how you might need to forgive that person or you've carried a little bit of hurt. Just say, God, forgive them. God, help me to let go of that wound. Heal that wound. I'm going to forgive them. Remove that bitterness from my life. You might have to do that every day. Sometimes I've had to do that for a month or two when someone's hurt me. But you can't not do something about it. That's what I want you to walk away with today. So, Father God, as we come around to your communion table and celebrate, remember the free gift, the undeserved forgiveness you gave us. Give us the strength to pass it on to someone else who doesn't deserve it that's hurt us as well. May we not hang on to forgiveness like bottle it up as if it's a trophy, but may we act, may it be like a river that flows through us. Help us, God, in our emotions that we don't let them dictate our thinking, our decisions, that they don't control or run our actions, our behaviour, our words. But Father God, may your Holy Spirit change us from the inside that we would be stronger and not weaker. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.